Hello to everybody from around the world. Welcome to episode 5 of season 2 of the Retail Wavemakers, a Sea Trade Cruise Talks podcast. My name is Nadine Heubel. I'm the Senior Managing Director of Travel Retail North America at Newmark. But today I'm talking to you as the Retail Ambassador for Seatree. Retail has been going from strength to strength in the cruise industry, and I'm grateful for Seatrade to have acknowledged this development by creating a Retail Ambassador role, which I am very honored to have been appointed to. Part of my responsibility is to create further awareness for this exciting sector amongst cruise industry peers. And what better way to do it than creating our own podcast mini-series, the Retail Wavemakers Podcast. In this podcast series, I will welcome different stakeholders of the cruise retail industry, cruise lines, retailers, vendors, consultants, and media. And I will discuss with my guests the state of the cruise retail industry. We have a lineup of amazing guests, and we will hear from them firsthand about latest innovations, initiatives, challenges, and their personal outlook of the future of cruise retail. And we will also get a little personal with our rapid-fire questions at the end of the podcast. I'm super excited about today's episode, as we are discussing a topic which is very often taken for granted, but in reality is super complex and most importantly, the backbone of the cruise industry, logistics and supply chain. I would even argue that the supply chain can make or break the success in cruise retail. I'm looking forward to talking to a true expert and supply chain champion, Mark Burney, Deputy CEO of Harding Plus. Mark joined Harding Plus in June 2003 as Director of Retail Operation and has held a number of critical senior roles in the business before becoming Deputy CEO in 2019 and Chief Operations Officer in parallel in 2023. Mark has recently included the merchandising team into his portfolio and has the overarching responsibility for supply chain planning, forecasting and logistics across the Harding business, ensuring the right product to the right guest on the right ship on time. Mark was also a key part of the senior executive team leading a process post-pandemic that saw Davidson Kempner as new business backers that has helped Harding Plus deliver rabbit growth to reach the position of current market leader in terms of number of ships served. Before I hand over the mic to you, Mark, I just want to add that I very much like the sentence in your bio, which I think could even be the title of this episode. Missing the boat is never an option in supply chain. So with this said, welcome to the show, Mark. Thank you very much, Nadine. It's a pleasure to be here today. And can I just say, I think it's a fantastic series that you've got up and running here to shine the light on cruise retail and all of the different dynamics within it. It's a pleasure to be here today. Great to have you, Mark. It's really, really amazing. And it's funny, we always, you know, uh, dear listeners, we always have a little five minutes where we, where we talk before. And the last three times I heard about vacations all my guests went on to. But this time we were talking about really a passion topic of mine, and this was pets. So uh, Mark, maybe before we start, tell us about Poppy just for a second. Yeah, I was just saying to Nadine uh, before we started the podcast and apologizing in advance that if there was any squealing or barking in the background, that would be from my uh, 17-week-old puppy, Poppy. She's a black lab <laughs> that joined us. We've had an over around about, I think it's just over seven weeks. 99% of the time, she's an absolute delight. But every now and then, you might hear a bark and a squeal in the background. So I'm apologizing in advance for that. And she's you a have delight to have. forgotten 
one a very important thing that she's already a genius in all the commands. She can sit oh, yeah. and lay and roll and all those things. Absolutely. If I could get the rest of my life to operate the way that she does, I, I would be much, much happier. Life would be much easier. <laughs> and Mark, you know what? I, I need to stop now because I could go on and we could make this from a cruise retail <laughs> podcast into a pet podcast. And I, and I think we could fill a full hour with this we too. Could. <laughs> but that's not why our listeners are, are listening to the show. So let's go back on topic. It's uh, no all on me, my bad. So can you tell us a little bit about Harding Plus? Sure. How many ships do you currently operate with how many cruise lines? And as we are talking supply chain, there is also something I'm always super interested in. How many different SKUs mm -hmm. do you have in your assortment? Mm -hmm. Sure, no worries. So Harding's currently in operation. We're live on just over I think it's 86 ships that we've got now to date. We've got around about 15 more that will come online between now and the end of this year. And then by the end of 2024 we're going to be up to around about 110 and that's across 17 different cruise line partners so quite an extensive portfolio and you know the, the growth has been just phenomenal for Harding in the last 18 months you know where we had obviously the restart that we've had post pandemic we've had the acquisition of new contracts our cruise lines are also now back into the growth phase so it's been quite a phenomenal period in the last 18 months You guys probably know we operate globally. We've got our central office in Bristol, and then we also have our satellite locations over in Miami and office locations in Sydney. By the end of this year, we're going to have around about 290 people working for us landside, and then circa 1,400 shipboard teammates for us at sea at any one point in time. So it's quite a sizable operation. And, you know, across those ships, we've got everything from a luxury vessel that's 500 square feet of retail space and has two team members on board up to 11,500 square feet with 45 team members on board. And so the breadth and depth of the assortment and naturally then the impact then on the supply chain is incredibly varied. To your question, <laughs> it's like a moving feast. But, you know, if you think currently today, we're managing somewhere in the region around about 40,000 SKUs in our assortment across 12 different categories. And obviously, the, the size of the assortment and the range, it, it just varies from ship to ship, depending on size and scale. But it's an ongoing refinement. And as I'm sure you know, Nadine, the kind of drive to manage SKUs and volume of SKUs in a business and to drive that volume down it, it is still at the forefront of our minds when we're managing SKUs. Absolutely. You know, I always feel that there is this one side where we want to offer a lot of variety and a great, great assortment. But then you also need to look at the other side from an operational perspective. And Absolutely. managing 40,000 SKUs is a complex endeavor. It is. It is. And to your point, for every SKU that you add to your assortment, there's a machine behind that has to manage that individual SKU. May I go back to one comment you made about the 15 new ships you are adding this year? Yeah. Is it all new build or did you also win an, an, a new contract? You're adding a new cruise line. It's a mixture of both. So we've got some new builds coming online. Actually, the imminent one is Oceania Vista, which comes online at the end of this month. So this is a brand new ship for the Oceania cruise brand. It's a not only a new ship, it's a new class of ship. So that one is particularly exciting. Towards the middle part of the year, we're then looking at taking on a couple of the Norwegian cruise line ships, their existing tonnage. So it's a mixture of the two. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, no, thank you for clarifying. But now let's go back to supply chain. And yeah, from a supply chain perspective, 
Replenishing a cruise ship is, I think, one of the most complex tasks as ships are what we call moving targets. And without revealing, of course, too much of Harding's plus secret sauce, could you tell us a little bit how your supply chain is organized? And also what I liked, again, in your bio, there was something else which I really loved in which when you said that the supply chain is kind of the engine uh, room. So, yeah, looking forward to hear how the engine room functions. Sure, sure. My prep around this one is kind of like when we get new people into our business and I do like an introduction into operations and supply chain, I describe as you know, first and foremost, we're a retailer. Our front of house product and experience rivals anything that you would see on land. It's comparable to see anything you would see in a, you know, a really good department store on land or within the travel retail sector. But the fundamental difference, and you kind of touched on it earlier, and it's a significant one, is that those shops move. More often than not, they move on a daily basis. Most retailers have a fixed location that they deliver to. They can complete multiple deliveries in a day. If you think about a supermarket and how many times you could deliver to a supermarket a day, if that method of delivery or transport experiences a breakdown, gets delayed on the road, you know the store will not move. If that happens to us, the delivery could miss the ship. It may not be logistically possible to get the goods to the ship then for several weeks. So the fact that those shops move just makes the supply chain side of it that much more complex than what you would normally see on land. Deliveries to the ship are then really dictated by which country and the port that the ship is docking at. The ease of access for us for the shipping routes and they're predominantly via you know the three main methods, either land, sea or air. And the lead time then of getting the product to the ship, depending on the location that it's at. If you kind of layer on top of that, the differing itineraries that go into all four corners of the globe and legislation, that's an important one that covers how and when you can load the goods. It makes it a really, really complex picture. Um, but that's what makes it a little bit more challenging and exciting from traditional logistics. And that's <laughs> one of the fundamental things about crews and kind of why I've hung around for as many years as, as I have, because it, it's the part then that makes it that bit more exciting and interesting. So it's a very intricate planning process. So you've got to have robust systems that manage, first of all, the ship's movement. So we capture that by day, by ship, by port, by time. That feeds then into a delivery planning cycle where we select the most efficient ports or routes to deliver to the ship. That in turn feeds into our supplier base and then subsequent lead times of ensuring that we are ordering on time for a supplier to get it into a warehouse location, get it processed, get customs clearance, get it packed, palletized, and then onto a truck, onto a vessel, or at some stage also via air to get it to the ship on time. Just to give you an idea, 2022, we shipped out, I think it was just over 20,000 pallets to 84 ports globally. During this year, we expect the outbound volumes are going to be around about 30% on 2022. Uh, supply generally comes out from three main locations. So we have the central warehouse in Bristol, but then we also have a significant partnership on the 3PL side with DSV in Miami. And then we do a lot of our freight forwarding also through Geodis in Australia. So I guess that's kind of how we approach the supply chain at a high level. I think your question around the secret source, knowledge, it's king in the world of supply chain. When I talk about knowledge, it's around the whole maritime logistics side of things. So knowing about a ship, its itinerary, the ease of access to a port, the guest demographics, the predicted demand, local legislative requirements, those things can't be underestimated. And we've got a significant pool of talent across our 
warehousing, logistics, supply chain and merchandising functions that all have this intricate knowledge. It just plays such a significant key part in making sure that we get the right product to the right ship and on time. Our single focus, our mantra is always about focused on ensuring that on-ship availability is at its most optimum mm -hmm. at every point mm -hmm. in time. Well, that was amazing. And 84 ports. And what also really resonated with me a lot when, when you said that you're really also looking into the itineraries and looking where it is best to then replenish the ships. So yeah, it's, it's a science. Yeah. If you think about uh, just quick example today. So, you know, if you think about what's happening in the summer season, we have a lot of our ships that are based out of UK or European waters. You know, if we wanted to deliver to a, a ship in the UK in Southampton, for example, which is kind of the, the equivalent UK's equivalent, if you like, to Miami from our Bristol warehouse, you know, you've got a lead time of less than 24 hours to get it out of our Bristol warehouse and onto a ship. You're talking about getting it to Sydney and Australia from our Bristol warehouse, you're talking 14 to 16 weeks. You add on top of that lead times, getting suppliers in, and you, you, you've kind of got every extreme then in between the UK version and the Australia version. Never a boring day in your life, I guess. Absolutely not. Never, never. <laughs> 2022 has been really the year, I would say, of global supply chain disruption. What is the general status quo of the industry now? Are we now in full recovery or what's mm -hmm. happening from a supply chain perspective? I think in absolute honesty, you know, you kind of called out when I was in, when I joined the sector back in 2003 and I had a few years working at sea before then. I think in the whole time I've been in the sector, I don't think I've ever seen the level of disruption that we've had in the last 18 months in the supply chain. I think most people would probably echo this. It, it has been truly unprecedented. I think on the upside, though, the earlier issues that everybody was seeing with sea containers, both from a cost availability and an on-time element, those issues are starting to abate. Not fully, but they're almost back to normal. I think our bigger challenges continue to be in the Asia-Pacific region, which is a little bit further behind in terms of unblocking some of the delays on the container side. But the US in particular for us has improved dramatically in the last few months to the point now where we're seeing very few delays in or out of the US and Europe so far for us has posed no issue. So I think to your question, yes, it's definitely turning a corner, not quite 100% where it was back in 2019, but it's heading in the right direction. I think we are continuing to work really closely with the supplier base to ensure that where we can, the flow of product is maintained at all times. You know, you've probably seen it and heard about this within the industry and outside of the industry. You know, our suppliers are also experiencing the same and similar supply chain challenges within their own business that's impacting supply and that ultimately impacts what happens in terms of on-ship availability. So mm. we've definitely turned a corner. There are far fewer challenges, thankfully, than what they were 18 months ago. And I, I, I honestly think probably towards the end of this year, we'll be back to a position where we were 2019 into early 2020. I'm glad to hear this. I'm glad that you're saying we, we really turned the corner because I also feel that the mood in the cruise industry is much more upbeat. Passengers Absolutely. are coming back and so forth. So I think it's important that the supply chain is robust as well so that we are not disappointing our guests when they come on the ships and they want to shop. Absolutely. So now, as we said, we, we kind of turned the corner. How do you see the cruise supply chain evolving? During the Sea Trade cruise panel, which happened two weeks ago, we mm -hmm. talked about, you know, more pop-up installation, home delivery, and is a candid question, is our supply chain ready to answer to these new customer demands 
which will of course require even like faster turnaround and completely new route uh, to market when we talk about, for example, e-commerce. Yeah, I think, you know, e-commerce will play a part in our future. Um, it's actually there today, but that's initially really, it's predominantly through a click and collect proposition mm-hmm. versus online and delivery to home. And we have that on a small amount of ships across selected SKUs. I think the balance for us that we've got to be very careful about is that, you know, one of the key USPs for cruise retail is our pricing proposition. So we operate in the majority of cases while the ships are in international waters, and that allows us to trade free of any taxes. It's one of the key drivers to make the purchase on board, and it's our key differentiator to land. And I think that will always be the lead on board. I think by emphasizing that, we can ensure a bit of a more by now mindset as once you're off the ship, you're unlikely to see the same product at such good value as what you would do on land. That being said, the convenience of being able to order items pre-cruise. So if you think, I don't want to carry my suntan lotion through an airport, you know, I want to make sure that when I get on board the ship, my Chanel number five is there already. So those type of stock up purchases or something that's an essential purchase that you'd want to buy on the cruise, almost predetermined, where we can tap into that and get that transaction before they get on board the ship. I think that's potentially where some of the opportunity lies. Outside of that, Post-cruise, we do some work with some of our fine jewellery and watch vendors where we can facilitate some forms of special orders. Fortunately, when you do that, there's then the element sometimes of taxes, VAT and duties that are involved in that. But we do operate that service. I think then secondary to that, Nadine, is, you know, we've been, I guess, very focused on customer insights over the last couple of years. Sue Gosling, you know, our chief brand and culture officer had set that wheels in motion several years ago. You know, we have done over 20,000 different customer surveys. And, you know, from that, it helps us innovate in the right way. And working with the brand partners creatively, we need to keep the retail mix fresh. And the way to do that, which is what you kind of called out earlier, is having pop-ups, getting more pop-up schedules and having them on for shorter periods of time, more firsts at sea and more product launches. And if you think about it, you know, the core of the cruise passenger they're repeat passengers so when they're coming back on board the ships we need to give them a reason to return and you can dial that up by having the pop-up events and utilizing the pop-up spaces in, in in a better way than what we're seeing today i think you know there's lots of talk around at the minute about the opportunity that exists in the pre-love space so a lot of work being done by a lot of, of brands now on pre-loved leather pre-loved watches and accessories and that is uprising to be a real global trend that we need to be on the on the back of so i think it's a combination of being able to tap into a little bit on the click and collect but for us the focus still has to be about our key usp on board from that pricing proposition part yeah I, I, and and I fully agree with you we 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 are still a brick and mortar business and i think it's good that we are a brick and mortar business yeah, and absolutely. That, we, that we need to look at other areas but yeah our our focus should be on the brick and mortar side definitely And Mark, for you, what are the biggest challenges um, to get the right product at the right time to the ships? And what are you specifically doing to mitigate these challenges? And what can cruise lines and vendors do to support you? Sure. I think this is the more immediate challenges, which we touched on a bit earlier around the time delays for shipping and in some cases, supply fulfillment. We've developed some quite significant reporting and visibility around our end-to-end supply chain. And that's enabled us to foresee and react to some of these issues much quicker in advance than we ever have done before. 
you know, where we've got fulfillment challenges, we're able to plan replacement products at short notice to ensure then demand is met. You've got to have the robust and strong relationships also then with the vendor base, which our guys are in regular daily, weekly dialogue with them and get an earlier view then of any challenges that may be upcoming and give us time to respond. I think if if anything that the last 18 months to two years has taught us and directionally where we're heading, wherever possible, supply and source your product as close and as local to the ship's home port that you can get it. Reduce your vendor and shipping lead times as far down as you possibly can and use low risk routes of transport methods to ensure that the product gets there on time. That one has really been key for us. And it's a key mantra that we're going to continue now over the next several years, sourcing as close to home that the ship is and reducing those lead times from, again, from vendor and from warehouses is absolutely critical. I think from a cruise line perspective, it's been something that I've spoken about for many, many years from even when I was in my role in operations. If you think about it for a a second, from from a retail operator, we know everything that we need to know from a transactional standpoint about the transactional data. We know the product that's been bought. We know where it's been bought, the time it's been bought, the location it's been bought. The bit that's missing is then knitting that together with the customer insight piece and knitting that together with the customer demographic. If you can marry those two things together and knit them together much closely, that drives better decisions around range, product, price propositions, guest propositions, service propositions. That ultimately feeds into the supply chain. And that's the thing that will ensure that we get then the right product on board to the right guest at the right time. And for me, it's almost like the holy grail. Knitting those two bits of data together would be a significant step. Again, 100% agree with you. And having worked for a company which was not only in cruise, but also on the, on the airport side, sure. you know, in, in airports, you don't know which passengers are coming through your stores. In cruise, you know, 95% of the passengers, you know, a week, two, four, five weeks ahead of time, which time. are going to be in, in your stores. And that's really, I think, the big opportunity we all need to maximize. So before we go to our rapid fire question, I have uh, one more question, more out of mm-hmm. curiosity mm-hmm. for myself. So what was the most exotic destination mm-hmm. you have ever delivered product to? I, th- I, I, I had to think about this. I think probably Papiti in French Polynesia. Uh, now, beautiful location to deliver product to. An absolute logistical headache and nightmare to get the stuff there, but it's a beautiful destination once it gets there. That's probably the most exotic that we've ever done so far. Next time you need to go there, I volunteer. I, I'm uh, putting yeah. it in my suitcase. I carry it. I'll happily deliver the pallets there. No problem. Are you ready for the rapid fire questions? Let's go. Favorite cruise destination? Ooh. Sydney, by far, I think it's the most outstanding harbour in the world to sail into. It's the best way to see that city is to sail into it. Past the Harbour Bridge and seeing the Opera House, it's just magical. So what's your favourite location to unwind on a cruise ship? Anywhere that makes a good Negroni. (laughs) Love it. (laughs) Buffet or a la carte breakfast? Definitely a la carte, but on occasion, it depends how many Negronis I've had the night before. That might lead me to the buffet to get it quicker. <laughs> bingo or trivia? Oh, bingo. Definitely. 100%. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Big bingo yeah. player. If he's got drag bingo, even better. <laughs> cool. The last product you bought on a cruise ship? Oh, I bought a Mayan side bracelet off one of our ships, actually, about two months ago. 
Amazing. And last question, which retail operation on which ship would you like to give kudos to within your own organization? Ooh. Mm. So listen, I've worked at sea, as I mentioned earlier, for a few years, and I led that front of house operations in Harding for several years. So I know that side of our business inside and out. And still today, it astounds me the sheer hard work and determination that those onboard teams have to deliver that exceptional experience to our guests globally. It's, a, it's an incredibly demanding place to work. And for that, I think I'd give kudos and thanks to every single one of those shipboard teams that we've got today. That's amazing. That's a great finish to this podcast episode. They're definitely our heroes. Perfect. Mark, thank you so much for being on the show today. This was amazing, super insightful. And I also want to give a big thank you to Poppy, who was so quiet and we didn't hear anything. So uh, thank you, Mark, again. <laughs> She managed to behave herself from end to end. <laughs> She did. Thank you, Nadine, for giving us the opportunity. It's a pleasure to do it today. Absolutely. Thanks, Nadine.